This is Magnolia Leadership Podcast, heart, soul, and earth aligned. I'm Katherine Miller, a holistic practitioner of 30 years and your host. Join me as we discuss what it means to lead from the sacred feminine. Magnolia Leadership is here to guide you home, remind you of your courage, awaken your deepest knowing, revealing your fullest expression, and supporting your beautiful blossoming. Welcome in. I'm excited to introduce you to a special woman, Jamila Samad. In this episode, we talk about powerful stories that represent critical moments in Jamila's life where she chose to surrender and trust amidst pain and suffering. Jamila is a vibrant woman, a mother, a dancer, a yoga teacher. She moves through life with what I feel is a vibrancy, and she is willing to do what is needed to let go of what no longer serves to allow the new to come in, in a truly beautiful way. Her life experiences have led her to create a really interesting form of fitness called devotional fitness, which is a somatic type dance to release tension and really fully embrace joy. In this episode, Jamila and I discuss coming back into the body after a near-death experience, knowing when Mother Nature truly is backing you. We talk about ways of deepening reverence, Jamila's training as a professional ballerina, learning different styles of dance to create a brand new dance language, Jamila's experience with lucid dreaming as a child, the potent place where the mystery informs us and where we inform the mystery, and then the simplifying practices of staying in deep presence moment by moment. I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation with the one and only Jamila. I hope you enjoy. It's always so nourishing to sit together in all the different ways that we do. I would just like to open by saying what feels true in this moment for you. Mm, mm. Let's just ground it into right now. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I feel very connected to mother nature these days. My, my joy and my sanctuary these days is our backyard where I, I plant little seeds together with my child and just the simplicity of putting my hands in the soil and the dirt and then watering. I mean, it's a simple, basic things really just to water the garden, but it's so nourishing. And I, I may overdo it a little bit because I just love it. <laughs> They're well-loved plants. Uh-huh. <laughs> I love the garden too. It's so healing. I was so excited. My, I have a plum tree, I have a lot of fruit trees. And one is a Santa Rosa plum Mm. and I planted it two years ago and now it is so big and it is loaded with fruit. It's, they're not ripe. They're like this little and they're green and you just, I can't wait. Oh my God. Coming soon plums. Mm -hmm. Uh Mm -hmm. Yes. I can really relate to the hands in the dirt. Mm. So good for the babies too. Mm. They're not really babies. (laughs) They're, they're, uh, how old is your son? He's five. Five. Okay. Yeah. So a five-year-old on your side, 17 and 21. 
Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's yeah, right. Stacy's a little Robin Hood. He, he has this like wooden bow and arrow with filtered tops and he's constantly, <laughs> you know, just like on the hunt. I love it. I love it. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to talk to you because I think that at your core, at your essence, you naturally embody in such a beautiful way in your life and in your work and just in your being, what I call the sacred feminine as a true embodiment. And I know that you've been on a journey to be able to fully be in your power as a woman. And so I I thought it would be really beautiful to just talk about that reflection and also how, how you experience it within yourself, this Mm -hmm. thing that we're calling the sacred feminine. Mm -hmm. Well, it's definitely been a journey. I feel that (laughs) we, in some ways we're all like little plants, right? We all blossom and we all go through the different phases and what I love for me personally of just being a woman is to feel that connection as far as, for example, being able to give life to bleed to what, what do I do with the blood? Can I offer it to my plants? Can I have a connection with all the facets of womanhood and also motherhood and the, the evolution of in some ways stepping more and more into that sacred feminine? I feel for me the most important piece and in some ways also the key that really unlocks just having access to the sacred feminine platform is reverence because without reverence then yes yes it's more of an egotistical hunt for power right it's kind of more patriarchal so when i can open a conversation or a relationship or a situation when when reverence is that first layer that I enter in through I feel like all of a sudden then the the mystery of the universe or mother nature however however you want to put it is then backing me Mm. so yeah to deepen my reverence for life and to deepen the reverence for this human life right like I do believe in reincarnation but I'm probably only going to be Jamila once right so to really have that reverence for what is this life about and how can I how can I utilize what I have in this life to the fullest Mm, that is amazing that you're using that word it's been really present for me in the last like few months around the deepening with the sacred feminine and how lacking that is in our world, Mm. how much we really truly lack reverence, right? Even for simple things, but definitely for the feminine, right? And what, what that really mean, what does reverence for the feminine really mean? And I think you really spoke to it, right? If we're just like going for the thing and using the thing and making it happen, it's very extractive, right? Like patriarchal like you're saying, but to be in reverence is just to be like literally in awe of this force and allowing and, and a vessel. It's not about what I want it to be, right? It's about how she wants to come through. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I would want to point out though, that we're not tossing dirt at the patriarchal society no, no, as of no, so, no. but no. really honoring the sacred masculine, but Absolutely. then also recognizing there's been a lack of that Uh uh-huh I mean I I definitely separate out 
the patriarchal system from the masculine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love the masculine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that. Love it. Love it. And, you know, I mean, of course, the reason we're talking about the sacred feminine is because it has been suppressed mm-hmm. and it's out of, and we've allowed it out of balance. So it's not, it's not against the masculine. Mm-mm. It's restoring the balance. Mm-hmm. And then that heals too. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's more about union, but mm-hmm. as female bodied humans, we, I believe we have some responsibility to try to bring this back online a little bit more by having reverence, by having, you know, really honoring even just the fact that we have these bodies, mm. right? There's so much about just like really honoring our bodies. And I think that's also a part of what I want to talk with you about is your journey with embodiment mm-hmm. and how, how, because I mean, I think that's really what you're doing on mm. some, some deep levels. Even as I was reading your bio, it's interesting to come at come at this relationship from this angle and like, oh, right. This is this is who she is, right? Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit just about your embodiment journey mm-hmm. and, and also about what you're doing with it now and your work? Mm-hmm. So when I was a child, so when I was between well, around five, six, seven, eight years old all adults pretty much would always comment on how I sat with this super straight spine to the point where I was just like, oh man, I just want to learn how to slouch because it got so tedious with people constantly commenting on my very straight spine. And then I was put into the ballet conservatory, so the Royal Swedish Ballet School, the kind of like the most niche, most competitive school for ballet in Sweden. And it was a school of the Royal Swedish Ballet. And so we, I I mean, goodness, we trained so rigorously. And there was about 40 hours of physical, hardcore discipline training per week. And I mean, I included, I think, everyone in the school, but we were, you know, a few of the actual girls who really pushed ourselves really, really hard. And I mean, we're talking complete exhaustion. And I do wonder at times what, how I could have excelled if I had access to the nourishment and the nutrients that now are so kind of common knowledge with you, even just like chia seeds and lion's mane, for example, but just getting proper nourishment would have been incredible. So that was- Is it a school that you lived at? No, it wasn't a boarding school, but I would show up 7 a.m. Yeah, I would show up 7 a.m. at the school. So I would be the first student there and do, you know, like 90 minute warm up before class. And then we train for 40 hours per week. And then three of us, of uh, the uh, 15 girls, we were chosen to participate in the performances with the Royal Swedish Opera. So we would participate in the performances and those would end around 1 a.m. at night. And then, you know, go home by subway and wake up around I can't even remember, like, I don't know, 5.30 or something. So very little sleep, super hard training. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because my personal life was very tumultuous at the time. And I was dealing with trauma and, and just, you know, family drama, you could say, to high stress levels. So ballet, because it's so freaking difficult and really requires all of your attention, absolute focus, it became my body meditation. So my somatic meditation at an early age, because 
because the ballet training required all of my absolute focus, 100%, I mean, you can't stop being focused, not even for a second, because then you're going to fall or fail. So it became my, my sanctuary in a way where I could just forget about the drama in my personal life. And I could really just focus in on the breath and the balance and how to articulate my muscles. So that discipline together with, in some ways, my the offering of all of my energy to this art form became my my saving grace. Mm, beautiful. That's so just I love the way you talk about it. And then also because it's so rigorous. I mean, I would say that if you could describe ballet in a different art form, it would be like studying Latin grammar or a very difficult language, maybe German grammar rigorously and only doing the grammar. I mean, it's so um, disciplined and tedious and organized. Uh, there's very little room for creative expression. Mm -hmm. And so once I was done with the ballet, I did this whole other type of, you know, skin shedding transformation where I began doing other forms of movement, like hip hop and jazz and buto and like all these other forms, African. And then later on, I realized, oh my goodness, there's actually something within that wants to be expressed. And that's when I began developing my own style. So really drawing from all the experiences, but because ballet was, it was a decade of absolute devotion and absolute hardcore discipline. So obviously it shaped me and it's so, it's still in my bone marrow very strongly. Mm -hmm. So that's more, I mean, as you're talking, I feel it like this is a structure. Mm -hmm that you put yourself in, right? And that you really learned. And then there was some unlearning, it sounds like, mm -hmm. right? And more in touch with the creative impulse through you, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. through these different forms. And then you even went further mm -hmm. with your own form of, of, I don't, what are you calling it now? So one way to look at it is, I, I do call it devotional fitness. Also, because you were so encouraging you know, that name, but basically what it is, it's a somatic freeing. So it's a somatic type dance where we feel the feelings, where we can let go of tension. So ultimately we make more space to feel joy and to feel relaxed. Mm -hmm. That is so important. Let's <laughs> talk about why. Okay. First of all, I really love that arc of your journey around embodiment and how you've done the diff. I mean, it's almost like the masculine and the feminine right there, right? That structure. And then this sort of embracing of the open, more creative flow. So you, you have the ability to hold both within your own body. Right. And I'm yeah. that's a really beautiful way of looking at it. I haven't seen it that way. Do you still have, cause you said you still have the ballet uh -huh. in you. Uh -huh. There's no, there's no, that's not going anywhere. Right. Well, it's, it's stuck in grammar land. It's just only doing the grammar. And okay. then by the other art forms. So for example, the jazz and contemporary African and uh, Bhutto, I mean, Bhutto is very experimental, but the other, the other ones like hip hop and breakdance that I was experimenting with, they're more like learning other languages. So still kind of learning other forms of grammar. Whereas when I began creating truly from this place of vulnerability and creating something Thing that never had been created before, to my knowledge and my experience in my life, that's more like in some ways creating your own language or, you know, creating poetry, writing poetry with, with words or making words up or just yeah. being very in the flow state rather than learning an already fixed form. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's talk about 
why that matters. Mm. Why mm-hmm. does it why does it matter? I have some ideas, but I'd like to hear your ideas around why it matters to be able to be embodied mm. and to be able to feel. Mm-hmm. Well, for me, when I when I'm able when I'm able to create from that space of vulnerability, in that space where I know that whether it's writing or singing or dancing or baking or sewing something, what it has to do with creation, when I'm about to embark on the journey of the unknown, creating something that's never been created before, I have to have a relationship with the mystery. I have to have a relationship with the unknown and something that is greater than myself, right? Because within my own capacity, within my own kind of ego structure of left brain and you know mundane reality i can only go so far but if i can create that bridge within myself of reaching into the unknown reaching into the mystery and in some ways creating that connection perhaps through prayer perhaps through a longing and a yearning yes i want to create something that's never been created before so there's that again reverence like and humbleness can i can i please receive that inspiration can i please be a vehicle for that unknown so that mystery can merge with with the now and my energy and capability to create and manifest you're talking about bringing the divine into the body and then into the world uh-huh right because that's, that's that's the, the juice that's the magic sauce we need when we're creating something unknown right I mean, I think so. Because otherwise, from my perspective, it's more like copy pasting, which is less interesting than creating with the the raw materials of the universe. Mm. So how do you, and here's to me why it's important. I really think we're trying to shift consciousness as a human race, right? On, On this ultimate level. And we have to work through the density And that has to get alchemized in our bodies. And we have been conditioned, at least here in the West, to be so in the head that we're really disconnected from the body. But that's where the alchemy is. And that's where the feelings are. And we can't, as you know, and I know, we can't actually heal and shift our consciousness until we move through the muck of feelings. So this idea that you would be able to somehow be connected to power and source and feel is actually like a pretty radical idea, Mm. right? Because that's dangerous, (laughs) (laughs) right? To feel the feelings. It's messy. It could get chaotic, right? We might actually find out who we really are and then what will they do right instead Mm -hmm. of just like being in that ego mind state right so it's actually like there's I just want to say like we're making it sound like yeah you connect with source and then you dance and there's this beautiful thing and I just want to say that I think it's very important work Mm. for shifting consciousness for our healing right I mean I I sit with people all day who don't know how to feel Mm, mm. right they don't know they don't remember their bodies Mm. right and so you're developing this way of actually doing that Mm -hmm. right I mean imagine if this could be normalized so that 
children and youth could be given the tools of yes it's, it's so this is acceptance right it's okay to feel my feelings and secondly like during puberty for example or any time throughout human life it's completely normal and every single human will at some point in life feel miserable or feel some form of suffering or insecurity and to have the tools on how to maybe not resolve them but kind of be with them and work with yes. them and you know create a relationship where it's not they're not made into these bad things but actually um more like raw energy that we can work with exactly exactly we're, we're like yes 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 well i think it even starts at birth mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right when yeah. we're setting up the life in those very precious moments right and you know what how we're treating mothers and how we're treating babies around sensation and even just like light or mm -hmm. sound or touch and when you think about how fragile those moments are and how they're setting up the nervous system mm -hmm. right and then you look at what we're doing mm -hmm. right in terms of you know don't feel this separation bright lights i mean mm -hmm. even circumcision i mean there's so much that happens in those early moments yeah and all the tests they they're insisting to do at the hospital with their fear policy their um the type fear guilt combination of like if you don't do this test where we're poking your baby a gazillion times you your baby might die i mean as a vulnerable mother in that moment you know with all the hormones and everything going on especially as a first-time mother then it's very difficult to say no to the authoritarian doctor or nurse who says that this could be really bad if you don't say yes. Mm. There's all these disruptors. Uh -huh. I mean, there's so many places that we can work. Uh -huh. Like you said, like, okay, there's the after the experience and teaching people how to feel and move through their trauma. There's the education of children. Like that would be an interesting thing for you to think about. Uh -huh. Like how do, how do we, well, you know, at the Waldorf school, they have your rhythmy. My kids hated it, but I think I think it's mandatory for all teenagers to do. <laughs> but, you know, I think like at least that was in their curriculum. It was integrated, right? Movement and the feeling. But I like the idea of just really tracing it back. So where do we start teaching people how to feel? Well, I mean, we're talking yeah. about, you know, birth. But even like if you think about the mother's journey as a pregnant person, uh -huh, uh -huh. Right. Oh, it's it's sneaking in. You said pregnant person. Wow. <laughs> I see you, Catherine. Uh, no, no. I I'm just still I, trade it. Yeah, maybe. Pregnant woman, pregnant person. Yeah. Oh. I um think that pregnant woman for sure. Even there, really focusing on getting mamas in their bodies and really connected with their babies is such an important thing to think about. Uh -huh. Well, I think, I, I don't know exactly what science is saying, but I, I, I'm a firm believer that most holistic moms and, and people are aware that what happens for during pregnancy for the mama, what she hears and thinks about any stressors and hormones, et cetera, will affect the baby. So yeah. my prediction is that around 10, 15 years or so, it's going to be common knowledge that everything even prior to that is affecting the seed and the ovum for example like yeah. how it takes about three months for the ovum to actually mature so it's ready to be fertilized right so what is the mom going through during that time 
obviously the, yes. these would be very subconscious memories but everything affects to some degree and when you were you aware of that during your pregnancy and conception time yeah so i've only been pregnant once and prior to that pregnancy i did specific meditations um to to bless the egg quote unquote for three months mm -hmm. beautiful i love that you're so tapped into the energetic realm mm. well i feel that the energetic realm is infinite and i'm only really scratching the surface let's yeah. go deep <laughs> <laughs> let's go let's deep dive. yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> i feel like it's a very rich mm. infinite realm and mm. that we humans only have a capability of knowing so much when we're still in our human bodies but i do think that there's so much more fullness of of intuition or clairvoyance and everything that's going on in the universe and all the all the different layers of consciousness that we don't even have scratched the surface of yet and are you sharing that from your direct experience share a memory of one of the first times where you felt tapped into that. I call it the life force of the universe, that field. Do, mm. you, do you have a memory of? Well, that? yes. The, if you're asking specifically for the first that happened uh, when, when I was a child. So when I was, I don't know exactly how old I was, but I think it was before my brother was born, which makes me around four or five. So let's say five. And I would have fever dreams. I would have fever. I would be sick and I'd be laying in bed and I would have these fever dreams. And in this fever dream, well, to start off, the, the fever dreams were reoccurring. So I would have them first and my interaction in the fever dream would evolve every time I had them. So mm -hmm. the first memory was just complete pitch black and this infinite void but it was just completely pitch black and there was nothing in it and i think maybe the second time i dreamt that thing i i realized okay this is this infinite dark space let me see if i can interact with it but it took some time i do remember it took some time before i realized that i could interact and so i, I placed my little hand my little five-year-old hand in the infinite space and i had something between my thumb and my index finger and i do believe that this item that I had between my fingers could have been anything. But what I had in between there was a gnome because I was fairly, I just believed in gnomes at the time when I was a little kid. And so I had this teeny, teeny gnome between my fingers. And as I brought my fingers apart, the gnome would grow like an elastic something. And as the gnome grow, everything in the universe expanded and it just grew like this balloon. And as I would squeeze the gnome together, everything in the universe would shrink and contract. And I would just play with that sensation of expansion and contraction. And I remember amusing myself with that and just seeing this little gnome and the joy also being able to interact with this type of lucid dream state. Wow. I mean, that says a lot about the soul that you are, <laughs> five-year-olds, but also it says a lot about children. Mm -hmm. and how they are so in touch with that and they're here to teach us and help us remember that that's that's what we're connected to I love that that is your first memory <laughs> <laughs> well my first um type memory of the infinite mm -hmm. are there any others along your life journey that you feel have been formative or important 
And I know you yes. live from, I know that you live from this place. So I'm just, I think it helps for people to hear what we're actually talking about in real time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In real, I'm sorry, in real space, in this world, like what you just said is amazing. Like a little girl having this experience of her engagement. I mean, there's so many teachings in that, <laughs> right? The contraction, the expansion, how that really works, how you have a, a way to engage with it, how you're informing the infinite and it's informing you. I mean, just to get that in a dream as a little kid, remarkable <laughs> i would say one of the most life-changing and affirming experiences i've had with that mystical realm was um in india when when i almost died when i almost lost my life so this was um 2012 and it was the third time i traveled to india so I was pretty relaxed going there because I had been there for about a year prior. I'd been there twice already. I felt like I know that it can be filthy. I know, you know, like, you know, I was relaxed and I got sick. But the way the sickness expressed itself in my body was this very slow progression. So I think for about a month, it felt like someone took, imagine if you have one of those old fashioned uh, volume knobs and someone slowly turned down the volume to my vitality and life force but it was such a slow evolution so it was hard to kind of pinpoint what was going on I would just get weaker and weaker and weaker I met with some nurse in the countryside in India who said that I should only live on spinach and white rice which I did for weeks but I began losing my appetite and so I just kind of stopped eating so I was just laying down reading a book for a long while and then one night I crawled out of the hut where I was staying, the hostel where I was staying. And in the moonlit night by a palm tree, I, I tried to vomit, but because I didn't have any food in my belly, the only thing that came up was yellow bile, which tastes is probably the worst taste ever. And this traveler girl standing next to me, she looked at my boyfriend at the time and said, your girlfriend is very sick. She needs to go to the hospital, bring her there immediately in the morning. And then I think it clicked for him like, oh shit, she's actually really, really sick. And so in the morning we went to a hospital and it was a private hospital, but it was still India. So it was, it was filthy. It was dirty. They brought me into a room after seeing the doctor and the doctor said, okay, so it looks like you have dengue and typhoid. So they brought me into this room. There were blood stains from someone else on the floor. It was just, you know, it was yucky. Uh, and I was so weak. I mean, I was just complete. I just laid in bed and I could barely move. And this nurse comes in and I mean, goodness, she, she just, you know, she poked my arm like 20 times to find the vein. It was, it was brutal. Um, and then finally she find the vein. And so they said that the best way to treat dengue is to inject blood plasma. So the, the white blood cells, mm -hmm. which they did, but they forgot to test my blood with the white blood plasma. So they injected me with all this white blood plasma. And then all of a sudden, my arm had the sensation of ice and fire at the same time and all of a sudden it must have been adrenaline or something because all of a sudden i just kind of flew up and sat myself in full lotus position straight spine and I was, I, because the sensation was so intense so i i was thinking like oh my goodness i need to meditate on this like this is incredible what's going on <laughs> but the sensation in my arm began growing and growing and growing almost until it became unbearable and i didn't want to break the meditation i didn't want to look down at my arm but after a while i was like well i have to see what's going on what is the sensation so i looked down at my arm 
and you know how toads and crocodiles have kind of like bubbly skin so yeah. my skin was literally undulating and boiling i mean it was just like something was really going on and i could wow. feel how my my face was being pulled the skin was just like ugh, feeling very odd and so i looked at my boyfriend at the time and i said is this happening to my face and he was a really bad liar so he just panicked and ran out shouting doctor doctor Wow. So from that moment, I blacked out. I don't remember. But my boyfriend at the time told me that apparently I had stood up in this yogic back arc, like arching my back fully as like as much as I can and done this primal scream. And then my muscles cramped. So I was stuck in this backward arc in a primal scream. And the nurses had come in, the doctors had come in and they tried to take this cramped screaming body onto the bed the bed was too wide for the door so they couldn't get the bed out so then they tried to get this other bed i mean it was a complete wow full chaotic so then eventually they got me onto this other bed rolled me into this other room attached all these whatever you call them electrodes or whatever mm -hmm. and then eventually what i so i remember floating above i was floating in the room mm. and I was definitely not in my body. I remember kind of like seeing the, the room from above and it was very spacious and soft and very um, neutral and non-personified. Non and then I remember seeing my boyfriend at the time's eyes looking into mine. I remember seeing his eyes. I couldn't recognize him, but I could see that there, were, there was kindness in his eyes. And I remember thinking, there is kindness here on earth. Maybe I should stay. Mm. And in the moment I somehow landed in my body and I, but I could still feel everyone in the room and I could feel how everyone took a breath of relief, kind of thinking like, oh, Taurus girl is not gonna die on our watch. <laughs> I could hear the beep, beep, beep. Mm. And eventually people began leaving the room because I, I guess my, my, my yeah, I was more stable. And then what happened was, so I was brought into this other room and the routine was in the morning, the nurse would come draw my blood and then I wouldn't see her until the afternoon. In the afternoon, she would come and say, um, the, the results are still positive. You, you're still sick, still positive. You have to stay. And this it, it just continued to happen. Tests in the morning and in the afternoon, she would say that the, the results were still positive. Oh. And after a while, I had enough energy in my mind to think, Oh my goodness this is going to keep on happening until what i don't know so what i realized was that i had to create a change i had to do something on myself because mm -hmm. i couldn't yes give away my power to mm -hmm. the hospital or to you know these people so i went into the deepest meditative prayer state that i've ever accessed in my entire life so in the morning she took my blood tests and right after I closed my eyes and summoned all the power that I could. And I, I brought myself, I traveled with my soul to the throne of God, but I realized I shouldn't come empty handed. And so from my heart space, I, I visualized these geometrical iridescent flowers of, of gratitude. Thank you for this life. Thank you for, for all these experiences. Thank you for the love. Thank you for all the, the adventures and all the experiences until I, in some ways, emptied myself of gratitude. And when I felt completed with that, it was almost like I drifted.
shifted and I just left whatever the currents were in the universe. And I came across this, it was a rectangular stone temple that was floating in space. In on the inside of the of the stone pillars, there was a circle of eight women, eight female bodies, but their faces were morphing. So all the women that had touched me deeply, so girlfriends and dear friends and oh, real women, real women from my life, their faces would morph. So I could see multiple, multiple friendships and sisterhoods kind of morphing between these eight female bodies. And in the center of them was this blue fire. And they told me without words that any this fire can transform and burn anything. And so I burnt the disease in that blue transformative fire. Mm-hmm. And then I think I fell asleep, honestly. But in the afternoon, when I woke up, the nurse came back and she told me, oh, the tests came back negative. You are now free to go. Mm-hmm. And then just to conclude the story That's fully. a great story. I mean, um, that story. It's a great, a great example of what we're talking about. But yeah. yes, conclude. So just the conclusion was that finally when I left, my boyfriend asked me, where do you want to go? My One of my favorite places in India is Varanasi. We came to Varanasi at like 3 a.m. in the morning. I borrowed his clothing because I had lost so much weight. So I was wearing like white skinny pants and a white little t-shirt. It was holy, the festival when they toss color. Oh, it was the Women's International Day. So mm. in the morning at 3 a.m., I was walking for the first time in a month, kind of like an old person. But as the day progressed with color tossing and everything, like Women's International Day, Towards the end in the evening, I was able to run. And I remember running for the first time in a month of just like, oh, yeah, this is how I do it. I can do this. And just feeling how my strength came back. Amazing. That was a plot twist. Everything changed after that experience. I'm imagining. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I haven't heard that story before. That's not one that we've gotten into. Mm -mm. Mm. So how do you, for someone listening to this, I mean, this realm that we're, you and I are navigating, sort of where the mystery informs us and where we inform the mystery, that spot. How would you share this with someone who has not had an experience? Like, how, what does this mean to you? So you just told this story and now we're going to look at, okay, how have you pulled that through? Mm. What did that experience create in you that has had meaning? Mm. that's a really powerful I I have a really similar I also have a near-death experience and I also have a diagnosis that I was able to cure through my own inner work high five yeah it's so interesting right um near-death experience where I chose to kind I won't tell the whole story right now because it's more about your stories but it was like I knew I saw I was newly married and I saw my husband at the time and all of the stuff that he was doing to make sure that I could live I saw it and it was the same sort of thing like you said the kindness I was like oh that man loves me (laughs) I can't because it was not a bad place that I was headed towards at all it felt good but I was like oh I just got married to him I need to go back Mm. and it was a conscious decision Mm. right and then the disease thing it was like an unspecified autoimmune thing and they were like we have no idea what we're going to do but you're going to be sick forever. And I was like, oh, no, I'm not. And so I was able to get it. That's how I got into shamanism, Mm. right? It's just by really understanding, like, there's something in me that is fighting the self against self thing. And I really need to heal that. And I did. And I went back and the blood work was completely negative. Mm. 
And they were like, we have no idea. This doesn't happen. And I was like, well, it does happen, right? And for me personally, it just has given me unshakable faith in my ability to be in touch with this life force that heals and to understand that we have the ability to do that. We're set up for it. We are made for healing, right? We're, we're healing right now, mm-hmm. you know? So I'm curious how you would talk about what it meant to you mm. to have that experience. I feel like that experience plus many other similar yeah. experiences mm-hmm. where I come from a place of despair and feeling stuck, sometimes even physically, literally being stuck, but being in a bad space, negative and, you know, whatever's going on, sickness or trauma, pain, whatever. And then having a very sincere request of help, please help me, right? When it's that sincere and authentic and genuine, Mm -hmm. I feel that there is a, a greater power that can come to the rescue and really hold and lift up. But also that relationship shouldn't be misused or just used for like, I want a new iPhone, you know, but to actually be really saved for those moments of of, of crucial help. Um, right. It's not for manifesting. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Not for materials, but actually like, oh, shit, like we don't want this girl to die. Like, how can we lift her up? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. That's amazing. So you've really danced with uh, this universal field. How is it showing up in your life now? Mm. Mm-hmm. That's a good question. I feel that like my life is so much calmer these days. Uh, I I lived a very yeah. adventurous life, um, like in my twenties. I traveled a lot and really kind of tossed myself into some somewhat dangerous or you know very adventurous situations situations like Indiana Jones was my hero so it's just like well if you can do it so can I and so I <laughs> kind of lived on the edge of, of life quite a bit I'm actually glad you did it's so <laughs> important it's so important yeah so these days when I'm more of a homebody there's less of that kind of like um being on the edge of life but for example I mean we the, the, our home now that we moved into is very much like we wrote we it was a longer process of, of trying all kinds of things so you know, setting an attention and praying and like, oh my God, the market is so difficult. And, um, but then one Saturday evening, we, I, I found the nicest quality paper that I actually had saved from my old childhood home in Sweden from the, like the 1990s. So I took a piece of this high quality paper and we wrote down in our nicest handwriting, all the things that we wanted our home to be. And then Sunday morning, I found the listing on Zillow. And then three days later, we got the okay that we could move in. Mm. So yes, there was some gunk to get through before that very easy process. But I feel like with anything, it's just like, okay, let's try what's possible and then really boil it down to the absolute necessities and then being clear with the delivery. And many times when, when, we, when we apply that, it's easier I mean, even in communication, when I can communicate clearly to you, it's easier for you to understand what I'm talking about. Of course. Mm. So you're still in the creative process. It doesn't matter if it's in India in a hospital or as a householder in where you're in Marin, right? In Marin, yeah. That you're still, you're really talking about being in this relationship. 
yeah with this force and creating from it and being in a relationship where you can ask for assistance right and where you can be assisted and where you can be used like for your dance form that you're creating or you've created Mm -hmm. I mean as I hear you talk it's just for you it's such a rich relationship that just is you it is just part of you it's been a part of you I think since you were tiny right and and not everybody has that soul and it's not better than or worse than but I think and this is why I wanted you to be here talking it's like you're merged with it Mm. not a separate I don't hear you talking about your relationship with this the sacred is it's just part of your life well and and again I do feel that there's the sacred feminine is for me this infinite well of of wisdom and I'm I'm still just like kind of like in the outskirts just like hi can I play you know I'm not in the epicenter of that yet I do feel that there is on just on a personal level like letting go of all kinds of things oh yes (laughs) and a a maturity that may come you know way later in life but Mm -hmm. I I am there at the edge of the sacred feminine ready to play Mm -hmm. I love that yeah this is a serious path Mm -hmm. with a lot of like you said removal right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's a lot of undoing and getting into the core and that descent process is it's not easy it's not an easy process and I know that you've gone through it because I've seen it (laughs) (laughs) and yeah you know it's a spiral we do it over time we do the different layers and our biology helps us through that too right Mm -hmm. I definitely have felt a shift in this part of life where it's just like you know now that I'm not menstruating it's like all of the energy is just down and in and dedicated it's just Mm -hmm. yeah it's really really different uh, spiritual energy you're still in that yummy creative mother early mother phase where you need that energy to be fresh and available for your life and your babies uh-huh, uh-huh. so it makes sense that you would feel that you're on the edge I think you're more in it maybe than you realize uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. just as as I have observed you it's hard to be objective I mean <laughs> <laughs> that's why we have our mirrors <laughs> right so Tell me a little bit about this healing force that we're talking about, this life force, this, I mean, it has so many names, right? And what you think is important for us to bring forward into the world Mm. and how you're, how you're, because I think we can all do it in our own way, right in our own life. We don't have to be a huge spiritual teacher to do it. We don't have to have you know, a special form of dance. We don't have to have a healing practice. We don't, right? So I'm just curious because I know that I know about all your different ways of healing and what you're doing. I'd like for you to talk about sort of the edge that you're on with that. Mm. I feel that for me and for the people around me and my family and the people I interact with, it really comes down to simplicity. So for example, with my child or with my husband or with my friends, when either of us is dysregulated or feeling stressed for whatever reason, when I can drop in truly into that stillness of myself and offer to them my absolute presence, Mm -hmm. there's something that's calming to the nervous system. And I feel, I mean, I think it's easiest to see in children, right? Because they're so open and reflective. 
So when I'm truly present with my child, when he's going through something, it's like he melts. And then all of a sudden, all is good again. And I feel with adults as well, if, if we can really offer our true presence, we don't need a lot of extra. We don't need gadgets. We may not even need a lot of time if we can truly offer that presence in a, in a genuine way. Because I think in many ways, that's, that's what we're all yearning for. We all want that real authentic connection. You're right. Connection. I mean, isn't, isn't that why social media was created in the first place to like, to give people this like connection, this sparkly connection, right? Mm. But the downfall with that is that when we, when we take our presence and unplug from the human being in front of us, but plug into a device it's, I mean, I feel it immediately. It's just like, why aren't you looking at me? Like, come on, like, let's, let's really, you know, eye gaze and, and breathe and connect. And when that's done in a, not proper way, but in a way that is heartfelt and grounded, mm-hmm. it's almost like an elixir. We don't need much of it. Oh, it's, it's like a feature. It's so it's potent. So yeah. Well, you're talking about the thing that is most disrupted in the world, <laughs> right? I mean, I love how you're taking it from the simplicity of presence with your loved ones, because that's something that we can all do, mm-hmm. right? We can all put everything aside and sit down for a beautiful meal that we take the time to create and have a conversation and enjoy each other and have pleasure and all of the things we can all, we can all do that no matter who we are. Well, I mean, maybe there's some people who can't So, um, but generally speaking, right. Applying that in our world, but then looking at what that is a medicine for is so, I think, holographic almost, because I think like, the separation is the disease, mm-hmm. you know, separation from each other, separation from family, community, separation from the earth, mm-hmm. you know, even like couples, like separation from the people that we love and the medicine is connection. And there's so many reasons why we're disconnected, but I love that you're, that you're bringing that in as the healing agent. Mm. Mm. And also like, we have to talk about your chocolate. Mm. (laughs) That can bring connection. (laughs) Right? Uh, And that's also like curated, right? With love and heart and presence. So that when we offer, it's an offering. But that's how I see it. Everything that we cook or create could be a beautiful offering with all those things. Uh Want to talk about your chocolate? Sure. I mean, so one of my, the latest flavors I created is with, it's a raw walnut butter salted caramel. So sweetened with maple syrup. Mm. And they're a bit bit finicky and tricky to create uh, because I want them to be perfect when I offer them. So it's actually pretty good for me because the the less perfect ones I get to eat. (laughs) (laughs) But these ones, they're, they're little spheres and they just melt in the mouth. So I feel similar to high quality sashimi, these mm. truffles, because they're fairly, fairly big for a female mouth to, to take them in. And because it's that it creates this all encompassing sensation of like, oh my goodness, it's a fairly large piece. Therefore I can close my eyes and just be with the sensation of this melting in my body. Mm. And then also getting the enzymes because it's raw and it's, you know, it has chaga and, you know, very clean ingredients, etc. So beautiful. 
there's one of your healing creations. <laughs> you want to talk a little bit about your work so that people who listen to this can um, know about your work and find you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm a somatic dance teacher. And these days, I'm similar to a tree. So there are two branches. So <laughs> one branch is the, the somatic dance, the somatic my friend called it cheap therapy because basically <laughs> basically what we do is to feel the feelings and see where we can let go of tension and often what happens in class which is so beautiful is that women will cry out of vulnerability sometimes because they're just so moved of the beauty that's pouring through them and sometimes it's more because of like oh my goodness i haven't truly come to terms with how much pain i was carrying around right so there's the somatic piece which is there's no mirrors it's all about the feeling it has the you know it doesn't matter what it looks like it's all about the inner realm having an expression to to shine through <clears throat> and then the other branch is i was requested to teach ballet for adults okay. and it's really interesting because when i teach the ballet class i sense how it's this other archetype that's coming alive in me of this more strict teacher <laughs> persona of, you know, things have to be done a, a certain oh. way, but it's really fun. And yeah, I mean, goodness, it's a great workout. I get really sore after those classes. So one is really kind of like accessing the heart and the soul and seeing how far we can stretch, firstly, outside of the comfort zone, but also how, how deeply can we merge with that mystery, right, of the healing realm. And then the ballet is just, you know, pure discipline. And how can we uh, be as refined and sophisticated with our articulation of the muscles? And do people need both? Or is it, does it depend on where they are in their journey, what they would need? Like, I would say that it has to do with what you want to bring your focus into do you want to feel your feelings is it more of a that emotional focus or is it more of physical challenge of how what can i what can my body do physically i see okay so how do people find your work uh either through instagram or my website i would say instagram would be the easiest okay and do you want to share what that is it's at jamila circle so you know holding space for the circle of women so at jamila circle lovely do you do one-on-one -on -one? i do and okay. then workshops but also class courses okay and then your chocolate business mm -hmm. are people buy chocolate from you or is that the little yes okay. that's mostly kind of local delivery because okay. you know they they need refrigeration okay Okay. But for anyone in Marin or the Bay Area, it's absolutely a possibility. Okay. So those are the things that you're doing for work and then you're mothering. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about what's happening with mothering. I always like to have a little bit. I think, you know, we, we're talking about work as if it's the more important thing, but I think mothering is really important to talk about. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, goodness, it feels like these days, I, I mean, I think all my life I've been just having this love to create. Uh, one of the things I want to create, for example, is this rose glycerite, <clears throat> so to harvest rose petals, organic rose petals, and make it into glycerite, and then having that access accessible for my child and myself, or really anyone when we're feeling low, or just feeling that the heart needs some upliftment. And it's interesting because my boy is very 
masculine. He's like this little warrior now going around embodying Robin Hood with his bow and arrow. And just, you know, just teaching him about how we want to treat our friends, right? Mm -hmm. Like if there's so much testosterone and this like the muscles want to, yes. you know, they want to do their thing and like, oh, I'm yes. a little boy and like, I can't mm -hmm. fight to, to just, you know, introduce the value of kindness and, you know, like, yeah, just gentleness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's your mothering going forward mm -hmm. to the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how... When you tap into the mothering that has come before you and is coming through you, how does that feel? Mm. The reason I'm focusing on mothering, I just, I feel that being a mother is the most powerful force that there is. Well, yeah. I mean, raising a human being and yeah. raising the future generation. Yeah. And creating some importance. <laughs> creating life. I mean, let's talk about the, if we're talking about the sacred feminine, to me, mm -hmm. this expression is the most potent right the ability to create life connect with a soul bring a soul into our bodies choose a sperm nurture this body birth it into this world and then take care of it i mean i'm on two decades of caring for life right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it's just this like incredible power the ultimate power that is in my opinion not honored and so I'm really wanting to make a lot of space in the conversations to just really honor and amplify the frequency of mother as an antidote to a lot of the things that are happening in the world. So that's where these questions are coming from. Mm -hmm. I'm curious what it sparks when I share it that way. Mm -hmm. So much. Yeah, I think if women would be nourished fully so that if we speak in a general way so that the mother is grounded and loved, I think everything in our society and our world would change. So for example, what we we're touching on previously, how we would birth our babies. Mm -hmm. So obviously home birth would be deeply honored, but then if the mother needed to go to a hospital, that process could be, I mean, just in black and white, 180 completely transformed. So the mother is honored and the connection between the baby and the mother is, is cherished and seen and held with this reverence as the most important. Um, mm -hmm. As a Swede, I do feel pretty proud of the, the NICUs that they have in Sweden because they understood that skin to skin is the most important. So they, they don't have incubators in my knowledge. They only do skin to skin because they've understood that oxytocin is healing. Interesting. They may still be some incubators, but overall yeah. skin to skin is em emphasized in a way that it's not in America hmm. in the hospital scene. Hmm. I think education in the school system would be completely transformed. And I think if women coming from that whole grounded, wholesome place of being completely loved and nourished, I think even architecture and the way we build roads would be different. I don't think we would have as many square shapes. I think there would be more round, circular buildings so that energy could flow in a different way. I was once in a house in Australia, um, maybe 15 years ago or so, and the father had built the house together with the mother, but the father was really the constructor and the house was built as a figure eight and there were no corners so that the energy oh, would flow. Mm. Was it amazing? It was, it was a little bit of like a hobbit cave. It was kind of dark, but it was a very, it was a beautiful idea. Mm. Okay. So is there anything that we've touched on lightly that you want to go deeper into? Mm. 
or anything that you just want to share from your heart to women who are listening and, you know, listening and participating in this conversation. So to the women listening, I would say to remember the value of, of honoring self Mm -hmm. and not in an egotistical way, but just to take a moment with a breath and doing something to honor yourself. And that could even be as simple as just thinking a positive thought or going further and maybe setting a beautiful intention, but something that is soothing and nourishing to the nervous system and to to your being. And then to expand on that, you know, you know, bringing it further, is there some action you can do with with your hands to show your body self-love, right? Can you massage your feet? Can you massage your temples, your scalp? Something that feels good, that is, that has that nourishing quality. Because I think when we can fill our cup ourselves, when we're not dependent on getting our cup filled from elsewhere or someone else, then all of a sudden we can have multiple cups and they're constantly overflowing. Mm, I love that. I like your message today of just keeping everything present and simple. Mm. It's through everything. Like even that share that you just did, just take a breath and touch your body. Right, right. I mean, it doesn't have to be complicated or expensive. Right. That's a really important point. It's available right now. Uh uh You can also connect with other amazing women because it feels good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anything else you want to share? Well, I mean, towards towards the fall, I'll continue with my classes. So whoever's in the Bay Area, that'd be lovely. Okay. And that's a series, right? Uh Uh-huh. So a series of somatic work and then a series of ballet. Okay. Mm -hmm. And we'll include all the information in the show notes so people can find you. Mm -hmm. Can you think of any other topics? Is there anything you want to share? Mm. So one of the questions that I've been asking in the recent podcast is to share not just the beautiful side of this, but... Mm to really be real about, you know, what it means to be on a transformational path engaged with this type of energy. Uh If there's any challenge that you would like to share, Uh we've been, we've been delving into that in recent conversations. And I think it, I think it's really good to Uh not, and it just is fluff, fluff. And you're not, because I mean, you obviously shared, you know, a near death experience and all that, but I'm just curious if there's anything Mm-hmm. I think some of those like more challenging dismantling decent processes are where we actually find ourselves in our power mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah it's important to talk about those a little bit only if you're comfortable with it but. yeah 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 I think most humans are aware of that when life is all peachy and sweet and just lovely and we have all our needs met and our bellies are full and you know all is just scrumptious then we rarely push ourselves beyond our own capacity right it there is some friction that's needed whether it's external pain or some trauma or you know someone dying or you know something dramatic happening when we really have to face ourselves and face our our neurosis, our anxiety, our insecurities, that, that deepest, darkest stuff that we 
rarely willingly would go towards unless absolutely necessary and that's i mean yeah that's where the growth is but gosh it can be <laughs> shadow uh, yeah it can be hard you know it's like physical exercise i don't think anybody would really do it unless they had to <laughs> there's a lot of, or you know eating um sauerkraut or whatever like doing these things that are necessary eating liver you know whatever it is like these things that we wouldn't do unless we knew that they were good for us right we'd be eating something chocolate oh, french pastries all around <laughs> yeah i feel like it's like it's almost like i'm standing by this like the edge of a well it's like are we diving in into this darkness or not are we just like peeking in or are we actually diving mm -hmm. yeah i mean i feel like i've multiple times in this life have gone through deep more physical pain than i thought i would endure mm. more emotional strain and trauma that i thought was even you know possible for a soul to to have the capacity for yeah interesting that it once you start like tapping into this energy it's totally different <clears throat> yeah i i feel that my in this life i've I've gone through so much pain and all the layers of experience, so like physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, that I know I have a lot of resilience and I know I have the capacity to go through, I guess, even more. I say that reluctantly because I don't want to, you know, invite anything in. On, yeah. But yeah, it's um, been a lot of a lot of testing of my character and really in some ways having to meet my inner whatever that is like that kind of like what i see is almost like this like metal rod of just like like feeling stuck but knowing that i have to go through this experience having to really choose carefully of what attributes and and what layers of myself that i want to bring into the future because it feels like I've I've nearly lost my life so many times. I, I've like I've 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 ha I've really met darkness so many so many times. So that I've I've peeled layers constantly. I mean, the, the amount of layers that I've shed <laughs> throughout this life. It's like I I'm pretty naked at this point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I think that's why I'm able to do the somatic work because I I'm not afraid of pain. I mean, I have a deep respect for physical pain, but. I've just sat in my own yeah. shit and fire so many times. So it's yeah. just like, okay, just, just bring it on. Let me clear this karma in this life so I don't have to come back and just repeat some, you know, some tedious lessons. There's a willingness to be in that part too. Yeah, there's a willingness and an understanding that life is so much more than that than just that moment. So I think that's why I have that really comfortable relationship with vulnerability. And that's why I'm able to hold space for these women in my class, because I'm just like, somehow I'm able to, to drop in because I have had the experience of just peeling and peeling this eternal onion of, of darkness, right? Mm, I think it's a big part of the path. Mm -hmm. I've gotten to witness you move through that too. So thank you for being willing. Yeah, because I don't think there's another way, right? Because otherwise we just kind well, of revert you can back. It and it gets worse, right? Yeah, the okay. resistance makes it a lot worse. Well, I'm a little afraid of conflict, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you're at a, a peaceful moment in your, uh -huh. in your new home and uh -huh. new marriage and 
your lovely son. And it's, it's good to, to also be fully in that too. Right. Uh-huh, uh-huh. This yeah, it's, it's like deep water pass. diving. It's two shell pass, right. Uh-huh. For both, for both sides. Right. Yeah. It feels like I've been swimming underneath in the you know deep 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 sea diving so many times so now that i have my head above water i'm just really enjoying you know taking in the horizon and breathing oxygen Mm, so beautiful you have such a beautiful way with words i think it's because english is my second language so i have like a a different relationship with english Mm -hmm. than native speakers Mm -hmm. when did you start learning english when michael jackson and madonna released their cds So good. <laughs> How old were you? Uh, <laughs> I was old enough to realize that the English teachers I had in school in Stockholm, Sweden, had an, a Swedish accent that I didn't want to apply to my own <laughs> deliverance. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, we didn't get into your heritage. I think that's also an interesting part of you. That it really informs. I I feel it moving through you, both sides of your family lineage. Well, there's such polarities. Yeah, let's talk about it for just a minute because I think it is like a really interesting part of who you are that that not everybody has, right? Right. Well, okay. So my father comes from a huge, enormous family with, you know, I have forty plus cousins. He had, I believe, thirteen or fourteen siblings. You know, jungle in Malaysia there were baby crocodiles and mangosteen and pineapple, all the tropical fruits, peacocks, all the tropical experience Mm -hmm. you could possibly imagine. Very little money, but land and Mm -hmm. fruit. And then on my mother's side, there's, I have one uncle and one cousin. And on her side, you can trace the blood lineage back to this one Swedish king who apparently was a drunk, according to my mom, but it was during the medieval days where Sweden had Norway as well. So Mm. on that side, uh, they're deeper pockets, but they're a bit more stingy, you know? (laughs) Um, So just complete contrast. You know, we would celebrate Christmas with a Swedish family. There would be like a pig's head with an apple in the mouth. Then we would go to Malaysia and my dad would say, don't tell them that we eat ham. Like, just just don't tell them that we, you know, do that. Um, because, you know, it's not halal, etc. It's right. a complete contrast. But in Malaysia, I was exposed to the Hindu culture. So yeah. there's one third Hindus, one third Buddhist, Chinese, and one third Malaysian Muslim. And so I could see them burning corpses. I, you know, my father would bring me to this, the snake temple, the turtle temple, mm-hmm. all these monasteries. So and I think that's, I mean, I know why I got so teased with you know kind of like the indiana jones experiences because mm-hmm. i saw and i was exposed to so much extraordinary type national geographic content as a child amazing it really shaped me and then having this kind of intellectual more sterile uh environment and type thinking from the swedish lineage mm-hmm. so that's just very very that different. shaped you too you have that did. <laughs> yes you do it's lovely mm, i love that coming together, melding of those. Also, as you were talking about your dad, I was thinking, oh, that's where the reverence is seated too. Like there's so much, as you're talking about this different, like a turtle place of worship, like, right? Just the fact that that exists. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. All right. Anything else before we go? I think that's pretty good. So we're just going to close our time. So grateful for you and 
your path and your soul and your beautiful spirit and your your willingness and your thoughtfulness and your ability to tell the truth and mm. see the truth and your willingness to walk the path. I really, really see that in you. And also just your love for your child. And I think your ability to use your voice is really important, your eloquence, and that you speak so that people can hear about your life journey. And that, that of course, is what we're doing in all of these. So I really appreciate you mm. coming in and I love you so much. Oh, Catherine. <laughs> I wish we were in person hugging. Oh, then this conversation would never end because we wouldn't be able to stop. <laughs> and I would just feed you chocolates and we would smell oh. roses. <laughs> I have some great ones behind me. Can you see I them? can see that. Um, so yeah, and we're going to thank all of the sources of guidance that have come together to create this time and all of the different ways that we are connected and resourced and just really want to offer this conversation for the benefit of all beings who may partake of it, that it be nourishing and supportive and mm. anything you want to say in closing? Well, may all the people and beings who we have touched upon in this conversation, may they somehow benefit and feel, feel our love. Ancient voices That's it for this episode of Magnolia Leadership Podcast. Having you here is such a blessing. As a Magnolia woman, we are leading from our deep aligned power to bring our full bloom to ourselves and our gifts to the world. If you're inspired by this podcast, I invite you to share it with someone or leave a review. Sign up for our newsletter or one of Magnolia Leadership's upcoming in-person or online offerings at magnolialeadershipco.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time, so much love to you.